John chapter 10. And beginning at verse number 25. We're going to kind of go back into something that we've we've read here in our series in John um, because there was a just an important point here that I think we need to look at. John 10, 25, Jesus answered them. He said, I told you and you don't believe. They had just asked him. He said, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. He said, I have told you and you don't believe. And the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. May the Lord add his blessing to his word today. You know, one of the most asked questions in the history of Christianity, I believe, whether out loud or just in our hearts, is this. Now that I'm saved, can I ever lose or forfeit that salvation? This is a question that's been debated by theologians and biblical scholars for centuries. So I am not going to stand up here today and say I'm going to put an end uh, to that. Uh, for two reasons. Uh, number one is, depending upon what scriptures you use, you can prove both sides of the argument. The second reason, and where I'm going with this, is that we're really asking the wrong question, which I'm going to get into in a moment. Now, our text today is really one of the most often quoted passages when it comes to this doctrine in the church known as eternal security, or as some have turned it, termed it, once saved, always saved. So I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Jesus on Eternal Security. So look at it here in verse 28. Jesus says of his sheep, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my or my father's hand. Now, to me, that's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? Plain and simple, clear as a bell. But now let's look at some more scripture this morning. How about uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, beginning at verse 4? It says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to condemn, to contempt. Now, this, this, this is going to get a little heavy in here, and I do this to show you this morning, the difficulties that um, you face when you look at a doctrine like this. So, okay, uh, here it is. They are enlightened. Okay, what, what does that mean? That means they've heard the voice of the shepherd. They've heard the gospel. They understand the gospel. And they've tasted of the heavenly gift. 
Call it righteousness, redemption, salvation, eternal life. The Bible uses them all synonymously, um, spoken as God's gift. Okay? They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've been born of the Spirit, John 3.8. The Holy Spirit, whom we have in common as members of the body of Christ, they have shared in that. And beyond that, they've tasted of the goodness of God's word and so on. These are clearly saved people that the scripture is referring to. And it says it is impossible in their case, when they have fallen away, to restore them to repentance, to restore them to that state of mind, that change of heart and mind that brings them in line with God. It says this, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. In other words, they have fallen away to such a degree as to reject the Lord they once confessed, to reject him as their Savior. And thus, uh, just like the Jews who answered Pontius Pilate, he's not our king, crucify him. Right? They're crucifying him afresh. They've rejected him. They've received him. They've walked with him. They've known his activity in their lives. And Hebrews says, then they come to a place to reject him. How many know the name Billy Graham? Right? We all know Billy Graham, right? World famous evangelist. How about Charles Templeton? Any have heard of Charles Templeton? That's because you were at the nine o'clock service. (laughs) Charles Templeton was also a very famous evangelist. Listen to part of an article on the Creation Ministries International website. It says this, fueled by concern about the spiritual state of post-depression youth, mass evangelism exploded onto the American scene in the 1940s. Thousands of young servicemen and civilians streamed to arenas to see the programs, which included preaching, music, and various acts. Templeton was generally acknowledged to be the most versatile of the new young evangelists. He soon rose to prominence, even surpassing another dynamic young preacher, Billy Graham. In 1946, Templeton was listed among those best used of God by the National Association of Evangelicals. As this pastor of the rapidly growing Avenue Road Church in Toronto, which he had started with uh, only his family and a few friends, Templeton also became one of three vice presidents of the newly formed Youth for Christ International Organization in 1945. He then nominated his good friend, Billy Graham, to be field evangelist for the new ministry. Templeton, Graham, and a few others regularly spoke to thousands, winning many to Christ, both in America and in Europe. Newspapers and magazines carried reports of Templeton's meetings, informing readers that he was winning 150 converts a night. In Evansville, Indiana, the total attendance over the two-week campaign was 91,000 out of a population of 128,000. Church attendance went up 17%. However, despite his popularity and seeming success as an evangelist, all was not well with Charles Templeton. The more he read, speaking of 
secular documents, uh, the more he found that he was beginning to question the essentials of the Christian faith because he could no longer believe God's word. Lee Strobel, the former atheist who has written many books, including The Case for Christ, uh, got a chance to interview Templeton. Strobel asked him about Jesus uh, in specific and recorded his answer. This is what he said. In my view, Templeton declared, he is the most important human being who has ever existed. Strobel writes, that's when Templeton uttered the words I never expected to hear from him. And if I may put it this way, he said, as his voice began to crack, I miss him. Templeton's book, Farewell to God, was published in 1999, and he died an unbeliever in 2001. Is this kind of apostasy possible? This kind of falling away for believers, as Hebrews describes? Boy, it sure seems like it. Some would say, however, that Templeton, the evangelist who won thousands to Christ, was never really saved to begin with. And they might quote 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. 1 John 3.9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. In other words, if one is truly born again and the Holy Spirit lives in them, they cannot live a life of sin. They cannot live a life of godlessness, a life characterized by willful, consistent sinning against God. It's just not possible because, John says, they have been born of God, because God's seed, God's spirit lives in them. Well, that makes sense, right? And then here's Paul writing to the Galatians, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. We've talked about those Jews, we call them Judaizers, who would go to the Gentile churches and they would say, yes, you've received Christ as Messiah, that's good, that's right, but now you have to keep the Jewish laws and traditions if you really want to be saved. So here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says, Look, I, Paul, tell you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. What were they doing? They were turning from faith in Jesus Christ for salvation back under a system of human effort, back under a system of human works for salvation. They were rejecting the gospel for another gospel, rejecting the work of Jesus on the cross to be total and complete for their salvation, severing themselves Paul says here, from Christ. 
How many about now are feeling like a tennis ball? <laughs> back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, right? And, and, and I do that to illustrate just how difficult this is, depending upon what kind of the, the, the scriptures that we're looking at. Um, and, and again, they, theologians, a lot smarter than I, have been debating this for centuries, going back and forth. And what usually happens is somebody decides where they stand on the issue, and then they look at those other scriptures, and instead of going, oh, boy, gee, I don't know, what they do is say, well, I believe this, therefore this must mean something different than what it's saying, so then we got to interpret this way kind of thing. And that's why there's a problem. That's why I think we're asking the wrong question, which, again, I'm going to get into in a minute. But here's, here's what I see um, from this doctrine, the, the, the real issue, the difficulty, practically speaking, okay? Um, the question is, can a person lose their salvation? First of all, let me say this. Why are you asking the question? Is it because you know I still sin? And, and I, I, I want to know, and, you know, even though I blow it from time to time, am I okay? Is it because you still sin? Or is it because you want to? Mic drop. Why are we asking the question? Now, if you take the scriptures on the one side and you answer this question emphatically no, okay, here's what happens. You tell that to person A, and person A says, whew, I have received Christ as my Savior, and though I stumble and fall at times, my salvation is secure with God. It's all up to him. Thank you, Lord, for being so faithful to me. I just want to love you and serve you more. That's a great thing. That's a great thing. However, tell that same thing to person B, and person B says, okay, I'm all set. I answered an altar call. I got baptized when I was 11 or whatever it is, and I'm fine. It, it's, uh, it has nothing to do with my, with my actions at all. So they start putting spiritual things on the back burner. They stop going to church. Before long, God is not entering into their decisions. He's not really a part of their life at all. Although, you know, when you, when you ask them, they'll say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian among Christians. But then when they're with the other group, they have no problem just nonchalantly taking the the Lord's name in vain or ridiculing with the group those other fanatics, right? I'm a Christian. I just don't need to do all the other stuff. That's a dangerous place to be. By the same token, let's reverse it, okay? Tell somebody based on the other scriptures that they can, in fact, forfeit their salvation, And so person A looks at that and they say, you know, hmm, I'm going to decide to be faithful to spiritual disciplines. 
I'm going to pray and I'm going to read the word of God and I'm, and I'm going to fellowship with other believers and I'm going to have Christian friends that are holding me accountable because I just, I just want to stay close to the Lord because I, I, I know that I stumble and fall. I, I just want to do things you know, to, keep, to keep close to God because I have a flesh to deal with. And that's a good thing. Well, person B says this, you know, I keep stumbling over the same sin over and over and over again. I, I, I'm just not good enough. I, I, I probably blew it one too many times, and God's probably done with me. I might as well just throw in the towel. See, both ends of the spectrum, no matter where you come down emphatically, both ends of the spectrum, you have devastating consequences in the lives of people. And that's why I don't believe that that question is the right question. Let's go back to what Jesus said. Let's go back. Not, not that the other scriptures are wrong, but let's go back to the words of Jesus. And let's see if we can ask a different question here. Verse 27. He said, my sheep hear my voice. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. What does that mean? It means they hear the gospel. They've heard and understood the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ. And he says, and I know them, right? We talked about that word know, that same word used of the most intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. There is a coming together uh, w- between us and God, his spirit and our spirit interacting at the deepest, most personal level as we are born again. And they follow me, he says, and they follow me. When Jesus called his disciples, what did he say? He said, follow me, right? That meant they were leaving their old life behind to enter into a new life, a new relationship with their rabbi, their teacher, right? To continue to hear his words, to continue to apply those words, to believe in them and apply them and live by them with the goal of becoming like him. And he says, I give them eternal life. What's that? Jesus said in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent that they know you. What is this? This is an ongoing relationship. This is an ongoing uh, personal getting to know him better and better and better, right? A growing in relationship together. Listen, you, you don't consummate a marriage once and that's the end of it, right? There is a consistent interaction, spirit to spirit, deep, personal, that we come to know the Lord more and more. Jesus said, these are my sheep. These are the ones who will never perish. These are the ones who cannot be snatched out of my hand. So the real question is this, how can I be secure in my salvation? 
All right. Number one, hear his voice. Receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Number two, be born again by the Spirit of God. Jesus said we must be born again, right? Number three, follow him. Enter into that relationship of discipleship with Jesus. And number four, know him. Know him. Connect with him on a regular basis. Develop that relationship of knowing him more and more and more. Okay. Now, look, you might look at these four and you say, well, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Are you saying, Pastor Ron, that, that this is a salvation then by human effort? No, not at all. I'm saying this is salvation by faith. But I'm also saying what James says in James chapter 2. Verse 17, he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, true faith is manifested in our lives, isn't it? What if if someone would say, listen, I have complete faith in this. I've, I've got this incurable disease, and I have complete faith in this supplement right here. To, to heal me and, and to, to ca- cause this disease to go away. I absolutely believe in this with all my heart. And then never take the wrapper off it. Right? But go, go and spend all kinds of money on all kinds of other treatments. Do you really have faith? No, faith opens the bottle. <laughs> right? Faith is manifested in our lives, faith is uh, can, can can be seen, right? You, you you sat on that pew today because you believe it would hold you. Okay, faith has corresponding actions. That's what James is saying, and that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying this is what faith looks like. They hear my voice. They're born again. They follow me. They connect with me. That's what it looks like. So, do you want to be secure? Simply live your faith. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God? You've received him as you believe he died on the cross for you, then receive him as your Savior and Lord. Do you believe that he's the Lord of the earth? Do you believe that his words are true? Then follow him. Do you believe that he, he, that he lives in us, that he is, is, he is Emmanuel, God with us? Then walk with him. Know him. Learn of him. Grow in that relationship with him. Live out your faith. And as you do that, you have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. Be a sheep. Stay close to the presence of the shepherd. And no one will snatch you from his hands. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't just 
call us to uh, a one-time confession that punched our card for some uh, time in the future. that We just carry it in our back pocket and pull it out and say, here it is. You called us to a relationship. So help us, Lord, to live out those beliefs and to walk with you and to draw near to you and to know you each and every day. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for making that possible. We love you and we praise you. And it's through Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to share a, a song with you by way of video this morning. Let these words just cement this truth in your heart. first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. Notice the question, however, that we asked is, how can I be secure in my salvation? This is is not ammunition to judge someone else what's going on in their heart. Only God can do that. Uh, So we need to be careful of, of that kind of thing. Um, can it give us cause for concern and for prayer? Absolutely. Um, but the main question is, what's going on in here? Amen.